Welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, a platform that celebrates the rich tapestry of professional diversity, empowering both women and men. We aim to foster diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, DEIA, for all, while recognizing and championing the achievements of everyone as a central pillar of our journey. In our conversations, we explore a wide spectrum of backgrounds, experiences, and perspectives, creating a vibrant mosaic that enriches our collective understanding and strengthens our commitment to diversity and empowerment. Michael Benz is head of patent portfolio strategy for Meta's Patents and Trade Secrets. Michael chairs Meta's Black and Legal Affinity Group, which focuses on ensuring an equitable experience for diverse employees in the legal department. He is a founder and board member of ADAPT, a DEI collective, the board chair of Page Turners Make Great Learners in Atlanta, a board member of the National Council of Patent Practicum, and a trustee for the Foundation for Advancement of Diversity in IP Law. Hello, Mike. Happy New Year. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation to be on virtual water cool chat. And today's our one year anniversary, so we could not have a better you know, guest today. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ashley. Happy New Year and congratulations on your one year anniversary. That's super exciting. And I'm hoping that we're like, you'll have me back as like your 50th anniversary guest. Maybe not you, but like, you know, like your future AI you or like whoever takes over. But this is something that's so important and meaningful. I'm so glad that one year under the book. Oh, when I actually was one year for the podcast, four years for VPG. So that's like next year is the milestone on day, you know, and then maybe I'll just train the animals. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Whatever it looks like, I'm here for it. Right. Thank you so much, Mike. You know, I really enjoy getting to know you through Adapt.Legal and I see that you are wearing that shirt. There's nothing, nothing, nothing bad about like promotion, right? So um, I'll take it. Adapt.Legal. Feel free to visit for anyone. Uh, we're focused on so many things uh, in the DEI space, certainly in the field of intellectual property. You're such a supporter and advocate in that space. I'm so grateful. So I'm sure we'll touch on that as well. Oh, and we absolutely will. So first thing first, I actually did a little bit of research too, but I wanted to kind of hear from you the name Michael, spell M-I-C-H-E-A-L versus Michael. Is there any like family history story behind this? Yes and no. It's not a glamorous story. Like, I'm not named after such a, a Jamaican prince or something. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, it depends. Um, but I, so just for context for our listeners out there and our audience, I was born in Jamaica, West Indies. Um, I was born in Montego Bay. And I got my name from a famous soccer player who played for the Jamaican national team. His name was Michael Lloyd, which is my middle name. Uh, and then, of course, I re received my surname from my family, so Michael Lloyd Bin. And what was surprising is he spells his name, M-I-C-H-E-A-L, as opposed to the more conventional A-E-L spelling. And I'm telling you, this has been a lifelong battle for me. Uh, I've had to have every formal degree changed from the spelling of A-E-L to E-A-L. You'd almost assume that when you graduate law school, the dean would know that I... I intentionally wrote that down. They're like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let's fix his name for him. So um, it's not as glamorous, but that's the real spelling that uh, my parents know. gave me. Well, thank you for you know explaining that. And I did some research as of 
you know, has been a paralegal for a long time, case manager. So, of course, if I'm interviewing Mike, I would want to know what's going on out there. So I listened to a couple of the uh, podcasts, and one of them is when you were talking about, you know, Sarah Blakely. And the other one is when you were talking about your history as an immigrant from Jamaica coming to New York, Morgan State. So we will kind of go through that a little bit, just so you know that I have done my homework. I appreciate that. I I, I kind of cowered a little bit when you said you did your homework. I was like, well, what did you find out? But no, I'm excited to talk about any and all of it. Well, one thing that I am really intrigued. So this is season two of the virtual water cooler chat. And one day I just woke up and decided, I talked to my team and said, hey, can we have a podcast? And I'm like, yeah, sure. What do you want to talk about? Like, I don't know, women empowerment, maybe. So that was that became like the theme for season one. And I drove my team crazy because I don't know how to say <laughs> no sometimes. And when people want to get on, I was like, oh, sure, you know. And um, a lot of kudos to my event pro, uh, Caitlin Nelson, because you know I absolutely drive her insane. <laughs> but. <laughs> She's really great. She was like, no, we cannot keep having bonuses. I'm like, but you know what? There's so many good stories out there. I like so, bonuses, though. They're the extra. They're the icing on the cake. But one thing that I've decided to do for season two is to do DEIA, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. And for the most part, I have actually focused on DEI most of last year, especially toward the end when I learned about ADEPT. And um, we started working, uh, having some discussion with the DEIA committee at PTAP, at the USPTO. Mm -hmm. So that's when we started, you know, really wanting to be fair and added the accessibility part to it so that we can build awareness. Because sometimes we, it's not always intentional, although I, I think that there might be people that are uh, like, you know, intentional, but for the most part, I think that in terms of issues like this, sometimes people just tend to forget. Like when you have so many things in basically in so many issues in front of you, and sometimes when the voices are not heard and the faces are not seen, yeah. that's when you forget. And this is one of the reasons why I decided to devote season two to the EIA. And by adding practitioners in patent, I mean, I know people from all walks of life. So I actually have someone that is, what is this, a scrum master? <laughs> I was like, what is a scrum master? So later on this year, I'm going to talk, chat with my mentor's son, who is a scrum master. So I love it. I, I mean, that's such a cool name, right? It was like, what does a scrum master do? <laughs> So I have to. I'm looking out for that episode so I can find out. Yeah, I I want to know too. I want to know too. I'm all in. Yeah, he wrote a book, and then I'm like, I need to do my homework before I interview him. But you know, his father was like, I don't know what he do. I cannot tell you what he does. But I said I'll read a book, and I'll finish the episode. I'll tell you what your son does. So tell me a little bit about Michael and how you get into the legal field. Yeah, great question. Um, I did not always want to be an attorney, at all. It was not on my roadmap. It was not something I thought about. You know, a lot of you know people talk about their parents wanting them to grow up to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. I don't know that when I was growing up, my parents really had law 
on the agenda, right? And I think that's probably because of the misconception that lawyers, at least when I was growing up, you only came around in two situations and it tended to be criminal law or family law. And to be quite frank, you don't want to see them in any context. You're like, no, thank you. So it wasn't on our roadmap. It was more like, oh, my kid's going to be a doctor or an engineer. And for my kids, I was nicknamed Dr. Benz at a very young age. And I spelled my name Benz, B-I-N-N-S. But I've always liked cars. So my, my dad liked cars. So he was like, oh, Benz became my nickname. My principal in elementary school called me Dr. Benz, and it stuck. I would put it on the back of T-shirts, intramural basketball jerseys, just when you would buy jerseys in the old 90s, Puff Daddy era, mine said Dr. Benz on the back. So I was hell-bent on being a doctor um, and then angled my uh, academic career to do that. So I went to school. I studied bio and chemistry in undergrad at Morgan State University which is a historic black uh, college and university in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and I knew from then on, I was going to be a doctor. Done. I made it. I'm in undergrad now. I'm going to get this degree and then I'm going to take the MCAT and I'm going to get into medical school and the rest of they say would be history. Mm, not at all. Uh, it turns out that uh, being born in another country, not having a social security number doesn't entitle you to student loans. And so I got into medical school. I did not get sufficient scholarships to pay for the entirety of the schooling. And then so it was probably about May. You know, I just graduated from undergrad and the medical school that I wanted to go to in New York said, sure, you can matriculate in August so long as you come up with a $65,000 tuition um, by June. I said, if I can come up with 65 grand in one month, I'm not going to medical school. Clearly, I'm doing something else that makes me more revenue, hopefully legally, better than going to medical school. And so I found myself with a, a total conundrum of a life's passion that I thought was going to come to fruition. I'd actually gotten in. I was on the doorstep, the precipice of medical school, you know, acceptance letter. I think I still have it in a box somewhere and couldn't go. And so this is a crisis of self. I mean, I, I was sitting there facing... I'll tell you, you know, I, I knew my wife at the time. We were not married, but she's my best friend. And so I, she went on to dental school. That was, you know, we studied in undergrad together and that was where she was headed. She was on her way. Um, and I had to really search internally for what my new purpose would be. Was it going to be wait another year, figure out this immigration status, take the MCATs again to maybe get a scholarship? I, I don't know. Um, but I certainly couldn't sit idle. I couldn't sit. I needed to feed, feed myself and my family. Um, I was living, of course, with my mom and little sister in Yonkers, New York. So I started teaching. I taught high school math and science uh, at a private academy in Yonkers, New York. I also started a tutoring company. And when I started the tutoring company, a good friend of mine asked me to tutor him and take the LSAT. No prior exposure to the LSAT, but he, taught, he told me, you could teach anyone and you could teach anything. So I purchased some books, some MCAT, I mean, excuse me, LSAT study books off of eBay, which was this new website at the time, Ooh, buy my used stuff for $9.99. Um, and so I picked up two sets of books and realized that all of the answers were wrong. <laughs> the person I bought it from may not have gone to law school. I don't know, but painstakingly erased all the answers and, um, 
my friend and I, we studied. And uh, he was like, by the time we were done studying, he said, you really should take this test. I said, why not? Right. It's a couple hundred dollars on my, my $600 limit credit card. So I'll do it. So I took the test, did really well, and then became the next why not. Well, why not apply to law school? What's the worst that can happen? Um, I applied to a couple that had sent me some mailers and said, hey, based on your score, you'll get in for free. And then I was in New York, so I applied to several New York area law schools as well, maxed out the credit cards. And I, I had no more credit. This was it. Um, I got into Fordham. And there I, I, I matriculated as a first year, fully still at this point, actually intending on going to medical school when I was done. Why did I need a JD MBA? I don't know. Maybe I was going to become an expert witness. Who knows? But I didn't find out about intellectual property law until after my first year of law school, because little known fact to some folks who have not gone to law school, you don't touch any specialized courses your first year. You take all the general areas of law, property, criminal law, civil procedure, et cetera. But I was interviewing for a job at a law firm, one that I really wanted to work for. And they asked me if I wanted to join their patent practice because I had a STEM background. I had no clue what patent law was. Needless to say, I did not get that job. But it told me the buzzword patent law was then made aware to me. I went back. I looked it up. I thought that, wow, there's an actual area of law that marries technology and the love of science. And so it put them all together. And from then on, I knew I wanted to be in patent law. Um, obviously, I went to my next student. Well, obviously went to my next interview when they asked me the same question. Oh, I was ready for it. I told them I wanted to marry my love of technology with the law. And here I am today. That was my first four way into patent law. Wow. What I hear from this is that there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurial spirit in you. I think that might have to do with your immigrant background. I'm an immigrant myself. So I've seen my grandfather, my grand, my grandparents, my parents, they've all struggled not speaking a leg of English. Not sure how they actually get through life, but they did. So a couple of things that I wanted to maybe use three words to describe Michael. What would be so, the best words to describe you? I would say dedicated. I'm, I'm absolutely a dedicated person. When I've committed to something, it will get done. And of course, I've learned to prioritize what I'm dedicated to. Uh, my first, of course, is going to be my family. So I'm very dedicated husband and a dedicated father. I'm going to be honest and say that that wasn't always the case. At, at one point, I feared failure and going back to kind of the upbringing that I had when I was a kid, maybe more than anything, came to a cathartic realization that that was not the most important part. I didn't have to run from my past as, as fast as I thought I did. Um, but I'm also very much dedicated to my passion for DEIA, as you've articulated. That's something that I've committed myself to doing, um, being here at Meta and being a part of ADAPT and other organizations that really champion diversity. Because I don't want there to be kind of a happenstance of the next person in my situation to find out about this area. So I'm dedicated to kind of the, the things that I love so much. The second, as you mentioned before, is I'm very entrepreneurial. I, I, I love building things, creating things. I probably at any given time have five or six new ideas that I write down in an idea book. Um, and I decide uh, with guidance from my wife and friends um, which ones to pursue. I mean, I've gone into 
real estate. I've owned barbershops. I still do. Um, writing a book. Um, I've started other businesses. I've got several patents that I filed personally. I own several trademarks. So I'm always going to continue to explore that entrepreneurial side. I just love the fact that it melds intellectual property. And I think that's what people miss, right? Intellectual property is the property of the mind, something that you can conceive of and create. So why not use that creative juice and do something with it? Share something with the world. If it works, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't, which is why I love being a part of your podcast and seeing your kind of career because you took that in initiative and kind of worked on it. And so entrepreneurial is maybe the second one. And the third one is, I would say, hmm, this is a tough one. I'm going to say like, just thoughtful. I, I, I love people. I love kind of their stories, their journeys. And I want to hear more about it. I want to know more about you. I want to know how I can be helpful. And maybe that's what's helped me to sort of, you know, do really well in the legal field is I care about the people that I work with. I care about the clients I serve. And I really care about the profession that I'm a member of. Um, so I think if you're thoughtful and dedicated with an entrepreneurial mind, it's kind of really who I am. I mean, that's amazing. And especially when you're an attorney. <laughs> it works. <laughs> it works. I think, well, I appreciate your honesty on, on that. So um, one of the things that I really enjoy hearing during my research of your other podcast, that it's about the openness. And one of the things that is, I think for immigrants, this is some of the reflection I have lately. It's, you know, there are things that, well, I'm Chinese American. My parents came, well, we came from Hong Kong, like in 1985. And um, my parents, let's see, one year into, you know, we didn't really speak that many, that much English. And then my parents decided to go to Lawrence, Kansas to open a Chinese restaurant. I'm like, not the most culturally diverse place in the 80s, wow. right? So there was, there was some discrimination. We definitely have experienced that. And I was um, a Jayhawk, you know, Rock Trap Jayhawk, University of Kansas. And my parents coming from an immigrant background, not necessarily, they work really hard. You know, restaurants is tough business. And it's like basically mm -hmm. seven days a week. And eventually they learn to take a day off. But whenever there's graduation, Mother's Day, those are our busiest day. And I was telling one of my other podcast guests that, you know, as a student, I have like more my corner table near the exit at the restaurant. And then I would be doing my homework, but every once in a while, you know, my, well, usually my friends would ask me, it's like, hey, do you want to go hang out? I was like, I cannot do that um, because I have to work, you know, but sometimes during college, I, every once in a while, I sneak out, go and do things. And it, Lawrence is a very small town. It's a college town. So I had like customers read on me. <laughs> Oh no! I know, if but you I'm, snitch, I'm not going to give you your order. You're not going to get your order right next time. But the good thing is that in um the fact that I was actually in whilst there's discrimination, there's also people that are super super nice. So during college, I had a law professor, 
Um, he actually was Harvard Law graduate. He didn't want to teach law school. He wants to teach business law. And he was also a Chinese studies. Um, so he speaks fluent Chinese. And he had somehow saw something in me when I was a kid, when I was in college. And I had no idea why, but then. But he really has supported me. He gave me his own scholarship, which is kind of huge. And um, people could not figure out why he could be like always win winning like mentoring award when he's not even at the university. He's going away to do like visiting scholars, but he's always getting mentoring award. But he was really amazing. And the couple of things that he taught me was nothing bad to nothing gained. Yeah. And that is so helpful because I don't think my Chinese upbringing will be, we are very, really risk averse people. It's like, don't do this, don't do that. It's at night, don't go out, you know? But like I had this professor that basically like, you can do anything. So that has been super, super helpful. And he even when, like when he was at um, doing like visiting scholar at another university, so basically, he needed someone to house seat. And one day, one day I got called into uh, his office for office hour. I've taken like a couple of courses from him then. He also knew that my parents had a Chinese restaurant in town because they come, the professors come. So I actually had quite a few of professors that, you know, I actually served at the restaurant and um, oh. got to know a lot of scholars. They also like basically saw me grow up in the restaurant environment. So I had like Clyde who actually had been super helpful. And when he came and basically told me, he was like, I need someone to help sit my place. I said, you're not going to be there, right? He was like, no. I said, but I need to go back and check with my parents. Like who would do that? You're basically getting, he was like, you're only responsible for your electricity, basic utilities, and I'm not going to charge you wow. anything else. And when he did that, it was actually... I couldn't really, because I, I am Chinese, I'm a woman, so I did not want to have any particular issues, people thinking that there's improper behavior. So I was like, let me go back and check with my parents. After that, my parents would like ask the same question, but we all know my professor is like very, I mean, he's a great scholar, amazing guy. And, um, and later, after I graduated, was when I really realized why he actually offered me the place because I had to write my thesis and mm. my parents you know they have a you know the restaurant but it's not necessarily like you know super rich or anything like that so they he kind of knew that my parents was not able to afford for me to go out and have like a very quiet environment and when you write your thesis working at home um at the restaurant and he just knew that I need to have a dedicated place to kind of like yeah. unclutter my mind. So I did not know that until, you know, I said, well, what can I actually pay you? So he was like, no, just pay for your utilities. And he was a co-chair of my thesis. And I wrote my thesis on intercultural negotiations between styles between Chinese and American. And I ran a simulation and I had like lawyers actually sit in the simulations. And so even when I was like, a student, I just like to put together stuff. So I guess that's why I have BPG. Now I can put together other stuff. 
but he I was, love it. I he love was, it. He was really, really helpful. And when I, um, you know, being Chinese, a lot of things is like the, the respect. You do not call your professor by the first name. And so yeah. when I finally graduated with my master's degree, he did most of the remote advice because he was really? everywhere. He was not at the university classes. And so when he did that, I think the reason why I want to talk to about this is about like virtual and also mentoring and how this is why I want to share this story. I specifically remember that when I had to defend my thesis, he called me. I had a really, really tough thesis chair. And he's mm-hmm. a historian, uh, graduated from Princeton. And he's always so tough. And I would, I would basically go and ask him, was like, you have so many red marks on my thesis. Do you think that I'm going to fail my thesis? He goes like, no, why would you think that? Really just illustrate what an amazing mentor of uh, like my professor was. He flew himself in on his own dime. Wow. And he came in a day before. He called me because I was still at the restaurant working. And so he called me. He goes, I think you should probably take some time and go home and take a look at, you know, the literature and before your defense at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And I was like, okay, okay. You know, so I told my mom and said, I need to go back. And the next morning, it's a 10 a.m. defense. And um, I am a very early bird. I don't sleep much. So this is why you can see social media. I'm all, you know, everywhere. All over the place. I love it. I was so nervous. And um, so I went to have breakfast and basically just lay out all my stuff and study and just try to soak in as much as I could. And because the committee was actually with people from the communication studies, uh, Mm -hmm. political science, and my poli-sci professor, he's one of the co-chair, he never made it. He called me the day before. He was like, I don't think I can make it. I said, I don't care if you don't, you, you, you don't make it. You just have to make sure that the rest of the community knows that you are standing behind yes. me. Because <laughs> yes. this is not my fault. So oh, negotiating no. even at that time. <laughs> he was like, yes, of course. I read your thesis. It was great. I'm like, okay. So... After the breakfast, I went to I went on campus and sat outside of the uh, defense room and basically sitting outside maybe about an hour and a half earlier before the, you know, basically by 830 I was there, just sitting there and just reading with my headphone. All of a sudden, my professor started walking down the hall. And he comes in and he said to me, I knew you would be here. He was like, come on in. So we walk in. And he knew that I would be nervous. So mm-hmm. he started, I mean, remember, he's a Harvard Law graduate. So he was poking yeah. me then. So he basically got me into the room and started asking me about all the literature, like the literature review. Because once you get started, he knew that I knew my material, then I wouldn't be nervous. But if I'm sitting there that whole time, that nervous anticipation would probably kill me. <laughs> So we went in there and eventually everything was fine. And I finished the defense. The Princeton professor was basically saying that at the end, because he was the toughest one that I had to basically Mm -hmm. answer his questions. So at the end of it, you know, after you finish defense, they sent you out and you're like waiting nervously. It was like, did I pass, you know? And then they call me back in. 
And when they called me back in, Terry, um, the Princeton professor was like, we have a slight change of the community composition. We are going to have like my mentor to be the chair. And I will step down as a co-chair because I felt that he had done more work with you and he has mentored you more than anyone of us has. So he wow. deserved to be the chair. So I thought that I would share that story. Not not often did I, I mean, I have not really shared that much, but I really have some amazing mentor. And the reason why I was so impressed with Adept, because especially people with diverse background, underrepresented community, we don't always have people that believe in us like that. And I think that is so important, like you, um, Gail, all the people at ADEP. Um, I just talked to Aziz yesterday. She's going to be a moderator for a panel. So we did our prep yesterday and we talked about all things ADEP and everything travel. So it has been a really wonderful community. Can you tell me a story of your mentoring someone that make a strong impression? So one, I want to say thank you for sharing your story because it, I think people don't often get the opportunity to be who they are because they don't know that they can, they can be. For example, you know, you were doing the best you could in school. You obeyed your parents, you worked at their restaurant and you just were trying to make your way. Maybe not exactly sure what that way was, but you received an opportunity with someone who saw the excellence in you and brought it out. You know, just even the part of your story where you shared that you were working and he said, go home. Like, just remind you that what's most important that you're defending your thesis in the morning. And I get it. It's important to work with your parents, but you need to step back for a second and take a moment and go prepare, learn the literature because he understood you. And, you know, look where you are now. And those are the types of stories that I think are so meaningful and inspirational. And I can't share a story about how mentoring, how, how my mentoring has shaped the future without being cognizant that I wouldn't be here except for mentors who have seen opportunities and greatness in me. I mean, even making it to college, I almost didn't. I had no intentions of going to a four-year institution. So as I mentioned before, I was born in another country. I was born in Jamaica, West Indies. And a lesser known fact, I'm actually Chinese as well. My great-grandfather was born in Hong Kong. Um, oh, wow. That's a separate story. Yeah. But I had good grades in high school because like you, many immigrants come here and they don't know necessarily what to do, but they put their head down and focus on their books. And I always did that. No matter whatever else was going on, I focused on my academics because you never know what doors it could open for me. And I fortunately did well on you know, my SATs. And one of the guidance counselors just came by and found me. His name was Mr. Lamb, and I'll never forget it. And Mr. Lamb said, why haven't you applied for college? And what I was afraid to tell him was that I was an overstay immigrant. If I, mm. I, I feared if I told him I might get deported, my parents might get deported. Who knows? And so reluctantly, I shared my story. And what he did is he didn't deport me. No surprise. I'm still here. And I'm a proud United States citizen today is he made phone calls on my behalf and said, I've got this brilliant kid in front of me who's got a bright future, but doesn't think he does because he's an immigrant. 
And he got me several scholarship offers to school. Um, and of course, I settled on Morgan State University because it was the closest to be able to come home on the bus to be with my parents and some, you know, my mom at the time, my dad was no longer in the picture uh, and my little sister. But that, without that, I don't end up in college. Uh, you know, I had different plans for myself. And so I realized that those opportunities face so many students today. So even, you know, that's why I love ADAPT mentoring program so much, because we assign six mentors at a minimum to each person who comes through the program, realizing that there's so many things that you can share with the next generation. And I think that's so important. I also mentor in the Patent Pathways program by Harity and Harity, because understanding that navigating into the intellectual property field is very important and not knowing what to do, how does it work out? How does it shape what the what decisions to make is a very important. I'm also a mentor of the Patent Pipeline Program, which is put on by the uh, National Council on Patent Practicum. Similar situation, so many people who don't know about this field and what it means. But then in addition to intellectual property, I am a board chair and I mentor with Page Turners Make Great Learners, which is a nonprofit focused on increasing literacy in Title I or underfunded schools in Atlanta and now the Southeast. If you don't see it, you can't achieve it. So if you don't know the value of reading in your life, then there's no value for it. You know, if you don't believe that you can become a lawyer or a doctor or engineer or that reading will further your career, people don't tend to do it. And I see all these young kids who are brilliant, who may work for their parents' restaurant, who may be sweeping up at a barbershop or trying to shine shoes, which still happens. Um, it seems very Charles Dickens, but it still happens because they don't know anything else. But for if they had an opportunity to learn to read a book, be rewarded for reading that book, getting books of their own, and then spurring that love of education and reading, they wouldn't grow up to be anybody. And so it's a long-winded way of getting to the story of, well, what's the time that you felt like you mentored someone and made a difference? I was a part of that program, and I mentored a young man who I taught to read during my lunch hours um, while, while working at the firm here in Atlanta. I ended up graduating from elementary school, and then I was still working with him in junior high school. He now knew how to read, got him a scholarship to a prominent school here in Atlanta, and he's now in his third year of medical school. Um, one, it makes me feel old to think I've been working with this kid for so long, but the other is that you realize you can make a difference in the lives of just one person just by finding and investing in the next Ashley, in the next Mike Benz, right? Um, I wouldn't be here except for the people who saw something in me and took their time, even when they didn't need to, when they didn't need to fly into the thesis and be there in person. And it's made a significant difference. Wow, that's so amazing. I am so glad to hear that you took your lunchtime to teach someone like how to read. Now, you and I are no longer in the billable you know, you know, environment, but we do work with people in the billable environment. And I think sometimes with that sort of like 
mindset and pressure, it makes it a little bit difficult for people to see. And then obviously, there's a lot of practitioners that actually would uh, supporting ADAPT and other organizations to promote diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. But I think that, you know, sometimes it's like my goal was not so like huge. It's And I've heard that there's an author by the name Jenny Gottlieb, and then she wrote the book Be Seen, I think. And then one of the acronyms that she uses is like hope, help one person every day, or something like that. So I think if we aim small, that will actually make the goal of helping people more realistic and practicable. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, I decided to write my books. I was no longer under the billable environment. So I was like, what do I do to kill time? During COVID, I could not travel. So I got on online Airbnb and decided, and I love writing. I never really realized how much I like writing. And during college, my, um, well, after I graduated, my professor and I were supposed to collaborate on a co-author book. We had a publisher, but then the publisher got sold to someone else. And then they want to change our basic premise of the book. And we didn't like it. And the book was supposed to be called Making Deals in the Land of the Dragon. It's about negotiating styles. And I might still do something like that with that, maybe as a graphic novel. I'm not quite sure how to do that yet, but somehow it turned into an animal book. <laughs> so it has been really amazing four years. And people keep asking me, how did you, you know, start your company? And how is it that you are like evolving into so many different arms of things that doesn't seem to be related to like PTAP? Because that's what I do. I actually have a mentor that was asking me, like, why did VPG just turn into so many things? Because people, why do you have a podcast? Is it because I can? You know, why not, right? I think what was really, really helpful, helpful is that by having so many different facets or aspects of BPG, I actually was able to provide job opportunity to like the next generation. I mean, I have people of, across different generations and don't get me wrong, sometimes they drive me absolutely insane. It's like, where's your accountability? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but at the same time, it's like, but when they get it, that sense of fulfillment was really quite amazing. I mean, you could give me like six cases and I would not be that happy. That would work. <laughs> but, you know, but when I get like the the kids, when especially when they, uh, I call them kids because they range from like 19 to 22, the young, young ones, and they have such like, it's math skills in terms of social media and how they put together the stuff. I had my cousin visiting in yesterday and she was like, well, I don't charge family, but, but I can pay you. He's like, no, I don't charge family. Let's, let's not confuse this. And she's 19 and very smart. She was like, actually, you wrote a book. Where do you get it? It's Amazon. And she got on Amazon and said, like, oh, Kindle's Unlimited. I could just read it right now. And then she goes like, well, is there anything I can do to help you? I said, well, maybe you could help me with a reel because I don't seem to able, be able to get it like done right. We started talking about Mojo, Procreate, and like Instagram, Canva, and all kinds of things. 
sometimes I would I would be actually coming up with projects like animation, and then I would go through like budget with them. How much is this going to cost me? And they would they would like for an animation we had the DEIA dance, and they would tell me that it's um three weeks. I said three weeks. How many hours is this? <laughs> How much do I need to pay you? <laughs> <laughs> and they don't know how to do it because they don't know how to calculate in terms of the hours. No one right, has ever right. asked them to do that. So our mindset was completely not compatible. Sometimes it's actually a lot of reverse coaching. I don't know how to do those chat GPT. So I have a 22 training me how to use chat GPT. And then we changed different it. things. And it was just like, I think sometimes in the workforce, especially when I was working as a case manager, then we always say, oh, you know, the millennial, you know, there's a certain mindset. Each generation has their own mindset, some good, some bad, some ugly. And I think that one of the things that I really wanted to do, and I've really gotten very passionate about when I started interacting with different generations, sometimes it's just like there's a blockage. It's not, you cannot get through I would go back and think about, it's like, how do I actually address this? You need to kind of yeah. like put yourself into, like step into the balcony, right? <laughs> Roger Fisher. Yeah. And, um, and, and William Yuri. And those people I actually wrote when I was in college and they actually responded. So I think I've learned from so many educators and the group of people that I have is like, I have a few of a minority women and men too, uh, but mostly I have like younger women that I am actually trying to work with and build, help build their confidence because I didn't really have that much to begin with. And look where I am right now. So I just feel, really yeah. feel like that is paying forward. Now, if you have a couple of lessons learned from Mike Benz, and what would you want the next generation, especially say, I mean, you're from Adapt, you're wearing the shirt. So what would you say to encourage people that may be not as confident to believe in themselves and try to get into patent or medical school? Or, you know, what, what would your advice and their that you have for the next generation? That's a great call out. I mean, I, I like to remind the next generation that everyone, and, and again, I'm not special. I tell people that all the time. I'm extremely fortunate, again, from mentors who saw something in me and people who opened doors for me, but I'm not particularly special. I'm not off the charts brilliant. I'm not someone who you can't aspire to be. I recognize my privileges. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I am a six foot three male. I know privileges that accompany that. I think there's discrimination to women that I have not had to face. But I also have other barriers that I've had to overcome. Being African American, if you look at it as a barrier, I don't. I mean, I've tried to embrace it. But all that is to say is that chase your dreams and align your dreams with people who are already doing it or on the same path. The things that you're doing today um, who make you who you are, make you special. Embrace that, use that, and channel it to create the life that you want. And if it's an intellectual property, which I think we all dabble in intellectual property, even though we don't realize it, 
if you've written down an independent thought, you just copyrighted something. So embrace that intellectual side and reach out to people like it, adapt.legal, become um, in tune with people who are on the journey that you want to be in. And sure, some people aren't going to have the time, but there's so many other people out there who are more than willing to talk to you for 30 minutes, have a conversation, lend a hand, embrace those people, learn from them, use it towards achieving your goals. And I think most people will be surprised how much they'll be able to accomplish in this world. It's really, you know, people say the world is your oyster. I think the reality is, is that can be true. Um, if you limit yourself, you limit your dreams is where you start to run into the first roadblock for your problems. I always liken this to kids. I used to teach. I told you that a little bit earlier. I taught, and you would see a difference between early elementary school kids and then, hey, I have teenagers, so jaded high schoolers, right? <laughs> when you talk to an elementary school kid, and I, you know, one of my nephews, he's going to school, and I think we know they have those boards that you hold up on social media that say your name, your first day of school, your height, et cetera, what you want to be. And he wrote down that he wanted to be a chicken. Huh? I get it. You're probably thinking, what kind of a career path is a chicken? How much do chickens make per year? I don't know, but he thought that he could write and be a chicken. Kids do that. They want to be ninjas. They want to be astronauts. But you also realize that they tend to throw an and on there. I want to be the president. And I want to be an astronaut. And I want to run a circus. And I'm going to be a lawyer. And I'm going to be a doctor. You know who stops them from thinking that way? Adults. Yep. Adults say, you can't do this. You can't do that. Nobody can be the astronaut and be the president. No one can do this and do that. Humans can't be chickens. I get it. I don't want people to grow up to be chickens either. Uh, but the point I want to make is that don't limit your experience based on the fears of other people who have never achieved your dreams. I love that message. I'm a very nothing venture, nothing gain person when it comes to opportunities. But there are so many steps. People do, do not see. They only see the outcome. They don't see the process. So I have to go That's through right. so many struggles. And what this is what I really hope to do, especially with the, my young ones. And I was like, oh, okay. I asked them to do research. And I was like, oh, I think we have to do a video recording of the event. I don't think my iPhone will work. Can you do some research? And then they come back with like the, you know, the uh, recommendation. I said, well, this is too expensive. That is blah, blah, blah. Can you get, get me something? And what are the considerations that I have? I mean, obviously, I know how to do research myself. That's what I do for work. But um, it's really after that uh, and after like over Christmas, I brought a camera to record the event for on February 8th. And so when we met up for the Boba reunion, because we had a kid that actually, he was with me for an uh, Indian kid that was actually with me for, I mean, man, I don't know that he would appreciate me saying that he's a kid. But um, he is an industri uh, industrial engineer at Boeing. Mm -hmm. And so when he came back, he was like, hey, boss. I'm like, okay. And we, we met up and I brought everybody over and we just talked and I just handed the camera to the person that's going to be doing the recording. And I kind of showed her what was this. I said, this is the one you want me to get, right? She was like, yeah. And then I said, can you 
go ahead and test the equipment and making sure all of this thing, we have the January 17th event that we need to record and I need you to be ready to go. And I would tell them update your resume because I'm going to review it and help you look for other jobs eventually. But before you leave, help me find someone to fill so that I don't have to do everything myself because I don't know how to do everything myself. So that's kind of how I build like my team and especially the really good ones. It's like, oh, no, I don't. I mean, as a small business, you, we all know that I cannot afford like matter income or the prestige, right? But I think that there's always a season and a place and you meet yeah. people along the way for a certain reason. And I cannot be so selfish and like, I am going to have you all to myself. Well, at least for, maybe for the time being. So that's one of the reasons I think my kids like me. <laughs> uh, but I also hold them accountable. So I think that has been a growth journey for me. And, and when I wrote my book, it wasn't until after I finished publishing the second book that I actually realized that, oh, wow, I actually have something cool to say. Um, and yeah, I also can I help the it. illustrator. So, but with that, I really want to thank you. Now, if our audience would like to connect with you, uh, where would they be able to find you? Absolutely. So, of course, I work at Meta, so I am on Instagram. Uh, it's business as usual, uh, which is my name, but I'm always on LinkedIn, Michael, M-I-C-H-E-A-L-B-I-N-N-S. Um, I'm definitely happy to connect, happy to mentor, and happy to work on making the next generation better than this one. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I will look forward to seeing you on February 8th, if not earlier. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, and congratulations on the year. Oh.